your Locked On Senators, your daily podcast on the Ottawa Senators, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm Jake Sanderson, and you're listening to Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Tim Stützle, and you're listening to the Locked On Senators Podcast. Welcome inside episode 357 of the Locked On Senators Podcast. I'm Ross Levitan in the heart of enemy territory, downtown Toronto, alongside Brandon Pillar out in Collingwood. And 24 hours later, I still cannot believe these words. Pierre Maguire works for the Ottawa Senators. But since we recorded yesterday, we have more insight from Dorian, from McGuire himself, into what kind of role he's going to have with the team. So we'll break that down. We'll get into the league news that's starting to trickle in. We have trades, retirements, and rumors heading into free agency. But don't forget the draft. And our rankings now have more clarity as Craig Button, friend of the show, has released his final ranks at TSN. We'll tell you where his outliers lay. And then we'll get back to our own rankings into the first round now as we start with rank number 31. This is the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. is Tuesday, July 13th in Pilsy. For what's typically one of the slowest weeks on the sports calendar, lots going on both in Ottawa and around the National Hockey League. Yeah, you love a little uptick in the news around the league and especially when it involves your Ottawa Senators, it's always good and Ross, it's 24 hours later, but it still seems so weird to me that Pierre Maguire, no longer a TV broadcaster, but he is the senior vice president of player development for the Ottawa Senators. What a world. Yeah, it sounds like the chain of command will remain the same. Eugene Melnick at the top, pulling all the strings and even ones he doesn't really have to. Then you have Pierre Dorian, the general manager, and Pierre Maguire sits right under. It sounds like he's going to be Yesterday, we said a liaison between the owner and the GM sounds a little less like that and a little more like he's going to have one finger in each part of the team, right? He'll, he'll dip his toe into pro scouting and amateur scouting. He'll use his 30 years of experience behind both NHL benches, college benches, scouting and broadcasting, where I think he doesn't get enough credit. He pretty much revolutionized that between the glass broadcasting position. And that's a unique perspective that not many people can say they have around the National Hockey League. So that's something I'm interested to see how it translates into what he's learned since his last time. He obviously got roasted for the articles that came out after Hartford Pilsy. But as you mentioned yesterday, you can't judge a guy on 30 years ago. You learn at the time he was the youngest coach in the National Hockey League. And now look at him. He's 59 years old. He probably has one of the deepest Rolodexes around the NHL. Would you say between scouts, coaches, GMs, everybody, you name it, you know Pierre Maguire has some sort of relationship with them? Yeah, I mean, that's probably a fair assumption that he's got to be one of the most connected guys in the industry. And yeah, like you said, 
revolutionizing the in the glass position for TV broadcast, which, yeah, it's crazy what you, you're privy to, the information, the things you hear, all those kinds of things. When you're sitting right in between the benches, you're hearing the ref scream, you're hearing guys chirp back and forth. I love the pictures of him in between two coaches of opposite teams just screaming at each yeah. other. That's got to be a weird spot to be in. But I think, and I'm glad Ian Mendez wrote an article about a friend of the show at on The Athletic. He always has a good opinion. He's able to kind of bring in all sorts of thoughts and make his own kind of opinion about it, which he does here. And he made a good point that I think we might have overlooked yesterday, Ross, is I think a big part of the hiring of Pierre Maguire is to have him as a spokesperson for the Senators because, you know what, we love Pierre Dorian, but he's not exactly... Do do we love PR Dorian, though? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's not exactly the best PR guy, as Ian points out. There are many media appearances that did not work out great. Like, what's the thing you're most excited about for the Ottawa Senators next season? We are a team. Um, I think we, we could have come up with something better than that for a national broadcast exclusive interview. Yeah, how about saying that trading the franchise face was the proudest day of his career as well. So I'm sure he'd like to take those back. He did apologize for the latter, the one that I mentioned, and said it shouldn't have come out the way it did. He was just so excited about the prospect he was getting. But Pierre Maguire is not that scared of the media. He'll say whatever he wants and not worry about the backlash. And that's the thing. He's able to do it with the confidence. Whereas Pierre Dorian, sometimes you see him and you can see he's calculating in his brain. Like, okay, I can't say this. I can't say that. I can't say that. Let's keep it to this. And then he answers. Whereas Pierre Maguire is just going to tell you the first thing that pops into his head, which could be, could, yeah, exactly. Could be multiple things too. He might have a list of things he needs to get out, but that's the thing I think will really help there is allowing Pierre Dorian to focus on the hockey side because getting him in front of a camera to address all sorts of things to the media and to the fans hasn't exactly been the best strategy. No, no offense to Pierre. That's just not his strong suit. On that note, Pierre Maguire has had his feud with analytics people in the past and his reluctance to give the credit that's due to these analytics folks who are making the game more easily understandable over a large sample size, where he doubled down on that to an extent yesterday, saying that he prefers boots on the ground and the old school way of scouting. Many hockey guys do, but he's not against the use of analytics, or so did it seem. The proof's going to be in the pudding. We're going to find out sooner rather than later. I think as early as the protected list, could have a little sprinkle of what Pierre Maguire's contributions to the team will be. Maybe not, but I've got another question for you as well, Pilsy, and that is how much of that whole situation from Pierre Maguire is a bit of a shtick for broadcasting to entertain the viewer? He was in the entertainment industry as much as he was in the X's and O's. So now that he has a different perspective and a different place in hockey, I think we could see that philosophy change a bit. At least outwardly. I think so too. And that's a good point to make because, hey, Ross, like we're in the entertainment business ourselves. Like I can count so many times where I've said something on the pod and then like heard a clip of it later and been like, all right, maybe I blew that out of proportion just a little bit. Or maybe I... Who's Timmy going to play like one day? (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't blown out of proportion. That was just a straight up bad call. I'm I'm willing to admit that. Uh, Yeah, I don't need... We're we're not going to go there today, Ross. We're not going to go there today. That's not what this is about. But I think also what you're going to see too is as a broadcaster, like you have to be unbiased. So you just have to kind of say things in a neutral way or in a way that um, expresses your opinion. Like, it's not like you're favoring one team or another. Whereas now 
He will be more biased towards the Ottawa Senators. He has an invested interest, whether this team wins or loses hockey games. So his opinion on things is going to change and he's not going to have so many hyperbolic statements like you're used to hearing him on draft day talking about just how amazing this guy is or how terrible this guy is or all those kinds of things. I think it's going to be a little more neutralized, which will be interesting for sure for the Sens. And yeah, the the thing I was going to say too, Ross, is it's going to be hard to judge how good of a job Pierre Maguire is doing because how are we going to know like really what had his fingertips all over it? You know, like I think he's going to be a guy where Pierre Dorian has a way of thinking and maybe Pierre Maguire just kind of chimes in and says, Hey, have you thought of it from this angle? And then Pierre Dorian will still have to make that decision. So I don't, for all these people that are saying this is a terrible move for the franchise, what a clown organization, et cetera, et cetera. If he was hired as the general manager, then maybe I could see the outcry and being like, this guy's going to have so much influence. But I think he's more of an advisor role rather than someone who's going to be like, nope, Dorian, we're not doing this. We're doing this. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a great point. And for those thinking now he maybe is a natural fit, he's looking over Dorian's shoulder. Maguire said himself that it was Eugene Melnick that initially contacted him for this opportunity. I don't think that that's really going to play a role. I think that Pierre Dorian knows that he's the general manager. He is the face of every move that happens from now until he's no longer in that position. And he has to take responsibility just as much as he gets to take credit if things do work out in the long run. Yeah, exactly. Like Pierre Dorian is the architect of this team right now. Like he's the one who had to go through the teardown. He had to go through the dumpster fire years. He had to trade every fan's favorite players for prospects and picks. And he had to face the music every time. So at the very least, I think Melnick's going to give him the opportunity to smell the roses as well. Right? Like, I don't think it's going to be all right. You tore everything down. Thanks for your service. We're handing things over to Pierre Maguire. Now. I don't think that's really the plan in place, but if you're Melnick, it's not a bad idea to have someone with experience and intentions to be a general manager on your team. Like at least Pierre Maguire has those aspirations and and wants to do that so he's going to be invested in this because this is kind of his foot in the door to get back into a general manager uh conversation whether it's with the senators or somewhere else in the nhl down the road he's moving to ottawa it's a full-time gig he's going to be as he's quoted himself boots on the ground and we love that for the senators growing the front office we'll see how it actually plays out in reality one thing i can tell you is that the organization did interview certain people who have a much more analytical approach than Pierre Maguire, but clearly after that process decided to go in the direction of experience over numbers and background information and that sort of thing. So we'll see. I think there's room for both to be in the front office for the senators. And the more that they can grow this staff and add different voices, different opinions and different outlooks on how to come to the perfect team, I think that that's just going to benefit the organization going forward. Yeah, exactly. You, you need a balance. And some teams may be more heavily weighted in the eye test over analytics. Some teams may be more heavy analytic over eye test. It, it's all a matter of your, your style and your preference there. So I think it's going to be real interesting to see how Pierre Maguire does here. And if, if anything, it's, it's just fun to talk about. Like I, don't, I was not expecting this to happen. So it's a great conversation piece. And content, like the gifts and memes of Pierre Maguire, we are going to be using his image throughout this season and going forward. There's no question. There's, there's too many good pieces of content out there 
for us to be all over at Send Central. Yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff to be had there too. And one thing I just wanted to mention to kind of wrap this up, we went over his his list of needs for a Stanley Cup contender. And he said himself, he thinks the team is about three players away from me meeting that list. Ross, what do we say? The two elite centers and the one shutdown defenseman. I, I got I to gotta think those are the three players he's talking about that are missing, right? Yeah, I'm between that or I think he could have snuck in an elite goalie there as well i don't know i'm yep, on the fence because i think mcguire might think matt murray's an elite goalie and that kind of scares me in itself but we'll see because matt murray had a great five games coming back from injury it's too bad he got hurt again and couldn't finish off the year but it was uh it was a hell of a run post that and uh, i just can't wait till we get back but the hockey world clearly had their fun with pierre mcguire's hiring in ottawa but that was short-lived because later in the day the edmonton oilers made a trade that I believe was even more a majority of people saying, what are you doing? Now, Duncan Keith is heading to Edmonton in exchange for Caleb Jones, the brother of Seth. He's a young up and coming defensive prospect who played, I believe most of the season in the national hockey league this past year and a third round pick. Now that's not the part that people are opening their eyes at. It's that their five and a half million cap hit is not being retained at all. Hilsey, how much do you think the fact that he's only making 3.6 in real money affect that? Because I know the cap hit and real money, it's all different. But Stan Bowman was on record as saying that the assets would have had to go way up if they were going to even think about keeping half or 25%. This was Duncan Keith's first choice, and good on him. He, he deserves it, man. The, him and Eric Carlson, the only two-time Norris Trophy winners that aren't right now in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy to think of. And uh, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I think the retained salary is a big part of it because I think the Edmonton Oilers are a team and a franchise that is okay spending real cash. I don't think the real cash is the issue, but the salary cap certainly is when you're looking at a team that pays two players over $21 million in Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. So definitely it crunches them closer to the cap than they'd like to be. But also I think a big part of this too is they are anticipating, and I was surprised by this, that Oscar Clefbaum will not return anytime soon. So his yeah. cap hit basically kind of gets stashed away on the uh, long-term five and injury a half? reserve. Oscar Clefbaum is 4.167. Oh, okay. So less. So. so, but it's basically a wash, right? So I think the fact that uh, there was no retained salary was definitely kind of the biggest surprise in this trade. I think that's what everyone was talking about when Duncan Keith was going to get moved is what is the cost of retained salary going to be? So we saw the, the price of the deal without it. Interesting move. I think if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, you got to be happy though, because you're not eating any of that salary and you get uh, some rebuilding pieces for a team that is coming off some championship hangovers from a dynasty of a couple of years ago. So they needed to move things around here. And Duncan Keith wanted to move to the Northwest area. He probably wanted to be in Canada and to be on a team with the likes of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And you can lend them all your playoff experience and all your NHL experience and help that young decor grow as a kind of stable leader is a good thing for the Oilers, even if it comes at a hefty cap hit. And even though he's 37 years old, the numbers have been in decline for three years now. He still brings value, in my opinion. Now, get this. Now, Talking Hockey, it's an account that uh, is run by Jack Bushman, one of our boys here at Locked On Network. He runs Locked On Blackhawks. He led Chicago in ice time in all 16 of his seasons with the club. That's incredible. And you look at him in 135 playoff games, Pilsy, he averaged 28 minutes. 
That would be the most anyone played in the last year in the National Hockey League. And, of course, you get the long overtime games in there. That helps. But that is truly incredible. 2015 Conn Smythe Trophy winner, three-time Stanley Cup champion, two-time Norris Trophy winner, and played 1,192 regular season games with the Hawks. No doubt number two will be up in the rafters. And I have this sneaky suspicion that he's going to find a role in Edmonton, but I can see the other side of it as being a waste of, of assets going the other way. So that was the one trade we have so far as we lead up to Saturday. This Saturday, we're in the week where teams have to put in their expansion protection list to Seattle. And then that's where things get really interesting on Sunday when those are publicly released and you know on Monday we're doing a mock expansion draft. We'll have all the ins and outs and which way. How are the goalies looking? That's my first order of business is how many tendies would I take over one of Gustafson or Decord? And I mean, we'll know which one it is by that time. So really exciting week coming up with the draft following. Pilsy, before we get to our draft rankings, let's touch on Craig Button's list that came out. What surprised you? The most. I mean, there's one guy in particular who's in the top 10 with everybody else, but not with Craig Button. Any guesses at who that is? I'm stumped. Hit me. Who do we got? Kent Johnson at 14 on Craig Button's list. He was at number two on, I believe, don't know. Who had him at number two? I'm, I'm pulling it up right now. Was it Scott Wheeler? Yep. Yeah, it was. And Promen had him six and scouting at him ninth and Bob McKenzie even had him at eight. So to me, very surprising that Kent Johnson fell all the way to 14 on buttons list. And on the flip side, it was a center from a junior league in Russia whose average rank for us is 21. He had him at sixth overall. I'm talking about Fedor Sveshkov. So Craig buttons, final rankings are in Pilsy and they've been updated from here on out. And how about that timing? We do the top 31 now with Button, and we'll update when we get McKenzie, but that's perfect. We get the first round even more as accurate as we can here on our Locked On Senators draft rankings. If you're just joining us and wondering where the hell they get their rankings from, we take the average from all of Bob McKenzie, Craig Button, Scott Wheeler, and Corey Promen, those latter two with The Athletic, Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects, Will Scouch, the EP Draft Guide, and the McKean's Hockey Magazine, and we average that out, and let's drive on over to those rankings right now. Ah, damn it. The engine's not working. I better go to rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family business that serves auto parts to customers online, and they've been doing it for 20 years. You can go there right now, rockauto.com, and shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of different manufacturers. They have everything. I'm talking engine control modules, brake parts, motor oil, tail lamps, even new carpet and whether it's for your classic or daily drive get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door the rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate you can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands specifications and prices you prefer that's right the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers simple question guys why would you spend up to twice as much for the same parts. It makes absolutely no sense. Treat yourself to something that you want and get what you need for half the cost. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. All we ask is that you put locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, 
all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. All right, Pilsy, 31 on our NHL draft rankings. We're oh so close as we continue to do four a day. Pilsy, we've got a defenseman kicking off today's list, coming in at number 31 with an average rank of 33.5 from the Czech Republic, Stanislav Svozil. Now, how would you describe Svozil's game? Well, Ross, it's good to have the only Czech player we've profiled in a wow. long time, and he's the only Czech player that Wheeler had in his top 100. And there was only two Czech players that were even weighted at all. So that's it's sad. It is sad because that's a country that's pumped out some heavy talent. I mean, just look behind me. You Great got senators too. Yeah. Dominic Jersey. Yeah. So there's a lot of good. Martin Havlat. Yeah. A lot of Czech talent that has come out through the Carl years. Rakunic. But yeah, you know, but, I'm building up to Milan McCulloch. Let's go. Don't forget Alish Hemsky to oh. Jason Spetz's sidekick. Yeah, his Robin more like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but hey, let's let's just say for clarity's sake, Stanislav Svozil is not like any of those players we just mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> just let's just be clear. If you guys thought we're leading to that, like, oh, he plays just like Milan McCulloch and just like Aleshemsky. First off, he's a defenseman, left shot defenseman. This guy is your typical defensive defenseman. In 30 games in the Czech League, he had three points. So that kind of lets you know. And in eight playoff games, zero points. So it's not about the points for Sposo, which is fine. EP notes that his Corsi stats were at 51%, which, Ross, for an 18-year-old playing in a pro league in Czech, that's pretty good. Even though they did mention it was in a lesser role, he was averaging just under 12 minutes a night. But for your coach to still have that confidence in you and for you to play that efficiently at that level is pretty impressive. Yeah, I think that that tells you a lot about his maturity. I think he's a guy who's closer to playing NHL games than a guy we're about to get to who's higher than him on the rankings. But... He seems like just a safe pick for a team. And we've said that quite a few times. Uh, I know I remember Anton Olsen kind of took it on the chin from us, but I see a lot of the similar type player. Um, you know, they'll go into the, the corner and dig out pucks. They're not nervous to do that defensively, but they're not going to lay you out with a big open ice hit. They're not going to um, wow you offensively. They're just going to be a steady presence for a, a guy who you hope to pair with a more offensive minded defenseman. They're reliable. A guy like Svozil, I think his, ceiling might be limited but his floor is pretty high i think that if you're drafting him you know that within the next five years you're gonna have a guy who plays in your top six now will he play ever any higher maybe not so that's why i'm at two and a half stars i think that it's just not the type of player the sen should be going for right now they have depth in prospects they have guys who will be nhlers they need guys with more upside and more risk inherently usually but if they're taking a safe player, I hope it's not a left shot defenseman, I guess could be my final point because if they want to take a safe, uh, safe centerman or whatever in the second round, you got two picks. Sure. Go right ahead. But in this case, I just don't see a fit for Ottawa with Swozil. Yeah. I, I gave him a little more. I gave him three stars Ross, just because yes, we have a bunch of left shot defensemen, but other than Tyler Clevin, we don't really have like, left shot shutdown guys right like it seems like all those guys are on the right side for, well, for now Sanderson but he can do it all 
Yeah, I'm not about to call Sanderson a shutdown defenseman. I would say he's got a lot more uh, different skills than that. Yes, he can shut down teams, but he has a much uh, broader skill set than a guy like Sposa will have. But even though he's he's more classified as a defensive guy, he still does a good job of breaking the puck up the ice. He's got a good first pass. He's a mobile skater, but from what I read and what I saw, it seems like when he gets to the ozone, he's just kind of dead weight there. Like he's just an extra guy you got hanging around there because he's not able to get his shots off very well. As you heard from the points that I mentioned, uh, he doesn't rack up the points, but our best friend of the show, Tony Ferrari, kind of squashed a lot of those theories saying he does believe that there is some offensive upside here. It's just when you're an 18-year-old kid only averaging 12 minutes a night in the Czech Pro League, you don't you don't get those opportunities, right? So maybe there's something to be had there. But yeah, I think he he's going to go to a team like this guy screams to me. A, def, um, a contending team is going to pick him with like one of the late picks, like 29, 30, 31, like one of those picks, a contending team is going to grab this guy just to get a safe defenseman in their prospect pool. So for me, I don't think it's worth the sense to try to reach up or trade up from pick 39 to try to grab him. I think he might be gone before then. So that's why I gave him three stars. I think he's a nice player and he could have a good fit in Ottawa, but it's, it's not going to work out with where they're positioned in the draft. Elite prospects really likes him in shocker. He's a great skater, and that's a part of being a good shutdown defenseman. They have him at 18. So does Will Scouch. And Tony Ferrari has him at 23. Beyond that, it's all second-round talent, according to the rest of our scouts. 42, 34, 51, 34 as well. So that tells you that he's a fringe guy. Do you think that a team takes him on night one of the draft? I think so. Yeah. Like I said, I think it's going to be one of those late picks because it's going to be a contending team that wants them. So it's going to be late first round, not early second round. Okay. Well, there's your prediction. He comes in with an average rank of 33.5 and 31 on our draft rankings. As we move to number 30, another kid that I'm excited about. He's teammates with my favorite player we've done so far, Ville Koivinen, but Samu Tuomala. He comes in with an average rank of 32.9. Also teammates with Levi Marilyn in this past year with Carpat's U20 team. This guy, he's he can do it all. Like he can shoot really well. He can pass. And that was shown with its 31 points in 30 games and an equal number of goals and assists, 15 goals to 16 helpers. And he also helped out Finland at the world under 18s. Get this, Pilsy, 11 points in seven games. What was your first impression of watching this kid play? He's an exciting guy to watch. And yeah, like you said, Vilu Koivinen is kind of a similar type player, but Tuamala has a little bit of a different skill set. I would say he's a right winger. He, You mentioned his stats with Carpat U20 League. He did get five games of Liga action, but he didn't have any points there. Again, you got to take that with a grain of salt because in these uh, pro leagues, the coaches don't give these high-end prospects the proper opportunities. They usually shuffle them down to the third or even fourth line where they just get them on the ice once in a while. So he's not set up to succeed there. That's probably why he didn't have many points because otherwise... This guy has the makings of an elite sniper. Like he's so offensive minded and he's got another gear when he has the puck or his team has the puck. But sometimes that gear can be a little, there's some tunnel vision, which EP really says that he plays a North South game without really looking at any options. Like he's like, all right, I have the puck. The opponent's net is North. I'm skating North. There's no, let's get it over to the side. Let's do a drop pass, chip it off the boards. Nope. 
just straight ahead, which yeah. there, there's good and bad to that, right? Like in a, in a younger league, you can get away with that. And he's got the skating ability to get past guys and just be like, hey, I'll just go around you wide and then I'll cut in. And then when then we're in the offensive zone and I can work magic there. I got an elite shot. I'll just make it work like that. But once you get to a higher competition level, it's going to be tough. So he reminds me a little bit of uh, Pusajov, a guy we covered, uh, I think, yesterday or the day before. Yep. But he's got better skating. So he's the type of player, Tuamala is, that he's going to rely on teammates to bring the puck in the zone. But then once it's in the zone, look out. Like, he is going to be that lethal guy on a power play that penalty killers just can't contain. One thing that I, I was a bit worried about, it looks good at the level he's playing at right now, is he has this tendency, and Elite Prospects pointed this out as well, but I saw it in the video too. He typically, when his team's going for a, a back check and, and to retrieve a puck, he'll take this wide loop out to the right wing, and then when he gets the puck, he cuts east. He tries to go across the blue line, and I'm worried that in the NHL, with a, when a big defenseman sees that, he's going to funnel him in and he could take a few big punishing hits. And I worry about that for him a little bit. But if he can figure that out and maybe become a little more evasive at the next level, he has all the tools. Like uh, a great comparison, I saw you put it in the lineup as well, was Scott Wheeler said Eli Tolvanen. Now, Scott Wheeler said Ellie Tolvanen. Now, Tolvanen was such a highly regarded prospect, then slipped in the draft. Remember, apparently his grades weren't good enough to go to the college he wanted, so he ended up going to the KHL of all places. And it seemed to stall his development at least a bit because when he came to North America, he didn't step in like the team thought he would right in the NHL. He went down, played in the AHL, and now seems like he's on track to be a good NHLer. I think Part of the reason why Nashville felt compelled to move Victor Arvidsson, they thought he could take that spot on a scoring line now, but Pilsy, that's four years later. So I'm thinking we could see a, a similar timeline for Tuomala to get to the NHL, but he's a guy I'm really excited to follow his career beyond this draft into next year's World Juniors and then further on after that. Yeah, and I think it is a good comparison, but like also, sure, Tolvanen, he didn't come to the NHL that fast, but look at his numbers when he was in the KHL, when he was in the AHL, like he's still putting up the points. I just think it might have been a kind of a situation where Nashville just didn't really have the proper spot for him. And uh, yeah, I think you make a great point. Arvidsson leaving opens that door for him. I think he had 22 points this season with the Preds. So a nice season there. He's able to score at the KHL level. He dominated at the AHL level. Mind you, the Milwaukee Admirals, that's that's one of the Wagon. best teams. Yeah, that's one of the best teams in the AHL. We know that from following Belleville and always being like, they're the second best team in the league, only yep. behind Milwaukee. But they are always the best in their division. So I think now he's going to get that chance. I would be stoked if he's the first winger that the Ottawa centers select that either pick 39 or 42, I give this guy four stars Ross, because I talked about it with Pusajov. It's the kind of guy you were hoping Dadnov would be on your right wing. You don't care that his defense maybe is lackluster. You don't care that maybe he doesn't do the best job back checking. Just you need a guy who can finish on the power play and they need to fill that spot. And yeah, sure. The right wing looks pretty solidified. Now, when you're looking up and down the lineup, you got Batherson, Brown, Dadanov, Watson. Well, Dadanov, who knows how long he's going to be here. He might not even finish his contract here. So you got to start thinking for a guy that can replace his skill set and his spot in that lineup eventually, even if it takes like it did Tolvan in a couple of years, you want to have that spot filled in your mind. So uh, a guy like Tuamala does that. So I would love for the sense to get a chance to draft him. And yeah, I give him four out of five stars. Four and a half for me, man. I can't Ooh. just, 
I can't just give both these Finnish kids five stars like I did with Ville Koivinen, but he's right there for me. And as with you, I'll echo those statements. I'd be so fired up if he's the first winger. If they go center at 10 and then winger at 39, that's perfect. I would even trade up any pick in the first or any pick in the second round if they want to trade up and get their guy, if they like Tuomala as much as I do, and they want to jump to 33 or 34, by all means, do it. Do it. Do it. He's going to be that good of a player, I do believe. So uh, I'm excited to watch him, as I mentioned, beyond this this camp here because I think that his runway is only just beginning. He's a bit on the undersize. He's 5'10", 175, but everything revolves around his speed and his shot, and that gets me excited as a player. He also he doesn't take weak shots. You notice that? like When he's taking his opportunities, he's cutting to those dirty areas to do it. And that's a part of why he goes from the wing out, like he's always cutting to the middle. And uh, I just hope it doesn't counteract and he, he gets stood up by Tyler Clevin or one of those big burly defensemen that's lumbering around an NHL blue line. So Tuamala comes in at number 30 with an average rank of 32.9. All right, before we get back to our draft rankings, Pilsy, would you like to say a word about our friends over at Bet Online? Yeah, it's been a while since I've been connected with betonline.ag since I rode off into the sunset with my season-ending push and win on my Pillsy's playoff parlay of the day. Not a big deal, guys. That's that's it's it's about winning at the end of the day and I finished off with a win. So I I'm happy with that. But the hockey season is over and Ross, just because our favorite sport is over doesn't mean we just sit on the sidelines. You guys know us at the Locked On Senators podcast. We work on Christmas, New Year's Eve, our birthdays. We don't take a day off. So we don't take a day off just because our sport's taking time off, just because it's off-season. If anything, we ramp up during the off-season. So there's still action going on. You might say, well, there's no baseball going on, but there is the All-Star game happening. And I have no clue who's on what team, really, what's going on, but... I think with an all-star game, it doesn't really matter. All bets are off. So speaking of that, let's get some bets on though at betonline.ag. I'll give you guys a parlay for the all-star game here. We're going to take the National League money line and then we're going to take the over at 11. I, who in who in their right mind would even think about taking an under in an all-star game in Colorado at Coors Field? That is just a joke. So I'm taking for Pillsy's baseball parlay of the day. Let's hit the National League money line and the over of 11. Put 10 bucks in. You're going to win 26.85. Again, disclaimer, I've not been following baseball this season. So this is just <laughs> totally a random guess, but it's an all-star game. So who cares? So let's put that in. But if you're new to betonline.ag, you're thinking, all right, well, I don't have any money in there. Let me help you out. Locked on Senators podcast, helping out the good people. And betonline.ag gives you a sweet promo code. Go to betonline.ag. Make your free account today. Use promo code Locked On, and you'll get a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. How does that work? You put 100 bucks in, you're going to get 50% of that, so 50 bucks for free from our friends at betonline.ag. And you can use that money to try to earn it with following along with my parlay. So guys, get off the sidelines, get into the action. Even if you're a hockey fan and don't know anything about baseball, follow along with me for this all-star game. It's betonline.ag, our sports book experts. 
All right, Pilsy. So to recap, coming in at number 31, we had Stanislav Svozil at number 30, Samu Tuomala. And I didn't finish off with Tuomala. The highest he's ranked is 19th with Craig Button, and the lowest is 46th with the EP Draft Guide. Do you think he will be a name that we hear on the first night of the draft? No, I see him going to the second round, Ross. And part of, part of that is my bias, hoping the Sens have a chance to get him. But uh, yeah. I don't see him going in the first round. Just because I think in the first round, there's so many centers and defensemen available that the wingers might get shifted down, especially, I mean, the goalie train's not that far, not that long this year. It's kind of a, you, you got the engine train in a caboose in Wallstead and Kosa are kind of the only two options. But that's going to be two picks that shuffle everything down. I do think those goalies are going to go in the first round, especially Wallstead, obviously. So that'll that'll move things down. And I'm hoping Tuamala is available in the second round for the sense. So am I. And number 29 on our draft rankings, coming in with an average of 32.6, Matthew Samoskevich. Now he played with Chicago Steel, the USHL. That sounds familiar, but he's heading to Michigan. Oh, wait, that sounds familiar as well. It seems like a route that's taken by some of the elite. Now, what makes Samoskevich a player that can and will hear his name called early in the NHL draft? It's for Samuskevich, it's he's such an elite playmaker. Like, and anytime you get a chance, like you said, to be part of an elite team like the Chicago Steel were last season, the skills and the talent that you're surrounded by are just through the roof. So it's almost like, and I hate to use this analogy, but it's like Harlem Globetrotter stuff out there for this team. Like it's just their their first power play is better than any team's entire roster. Usually like they have just so much talent that you just can't keep up with them. And Sam Skavich is a big part of that. He had 37 points in 36 games. And then in eight playoff games, he had 10 points. So it's obvious that this guy is a contributor. He's not just kind of riding the coattails of some of these elite players that were playing in Chicago, but when you watch him play, like I really feel like he's someone that's constantly making calculations in his head. Like you can see him, the gears are turning and he's thinking, where should I be? Where should I move the puck? Where's the puck going next? Where's that uh, attacker going? Where's this defenseman going to go? And he's able to make split second decisions to be the most efficient he can be with the puck or without the puck anywhere on the ice. And he's the kind of guy that he loves the responsibility of getting the puck up the ice. Like he, he's like that point guard in basketball where let's say maybe the center gets the rebound. You're passing it to that point guard right away because he's the guy that brings it up the court. The same with Sam Skevich. He's the guy that wants to bring the puck up the ice, no matter what the challenge is. So I think to have a guy like him available for you in your prospect pool, like this guy could be one of your gems of your prospect pool, I would say. You're worried at all about the lack of physicality. It seems like this is a guy who loves having the puck on his stick and definitely find his teammates, but I don't know if he's the kind of two-way guy. I don't think you'd ever mistake him with that sort of moniker. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a concern, but you, you got to look at the – you got to take the good with the bad, right? Like a guy like um, Stanislav Svozil we just talked about. I'm not going to knock him for not putting up 20 power play points because that's just not his skill set, right? right? He does so good in the shutdown area. So 
for a guy, a guy like this, like I'm not going to knock him for not being physical because when he's not being physical, he's setting up sick plays and he's absolutely lethal on the power play and he's putting up so many points. So I don't expect him to be a guy that does everything. Now, having said that, he's playing center right now. I see him as a guy that shifts to the wing just because he's not as defensively responsible as, as most centers at a pro level are, which is okay. That's fine. But I just think that you can't knock him too much because he has other priorities in place and maybe that'll burn him once in a while. It's going to look bad when he just gives up on a puck battle in the corner and the other team gets it and scores. You're going to be like, what the hell was he doing? But give him next shift and he'll probably score or set up a sweet play for you. So I'm okay with that. He's a highlight reel type guy. Also, though, one of the oldest players in this draft born on November 15th in 2002. Now, that's uh, an important day because... He was very near tragedy in his hometown eight years ago. And Scott Wheeler wrote a very touching article on this where not only Matthew, but his twin sister and his older sister, who's a well-decorated woman's hockey player as well, they all shared their experience growing up in Sandy Hook. That name might sound familiar because it was where an awful event occurred in the United States where there was a mass shooting at an elementary school. I believe it was 16 to to, to 20 many children six to seven years old uh, were gunned down in an awful horrible and uh, an incident that can really scar the entire community and they were at that school two years before Pillsy. so that's something that weighs heavily on Matthew's mind yeah I mean anytime you're from a small town like that like you said they they weren't at the school when it happened where it happens but they're very connected to everyone in that community so it's it's one of those things that like that that's going to stick with you for the rest of life. It's a terrible, terrible story. It's something that is going to haunt these guys forever. But it, it's something that also, you know, like you've got pride coming from there and you, you want to make everyone proud that you're coming from that area. And the first thing people think of is that tragedy. Well, maybe you can spin that into a positive. Like, yes, there was a tragic event that happened there, but people are still thriving from that community. So so we hope for a guy, a guy like him, that he's able to do that and with the talent and um, obviously we don't know him personally, but from the article Scott Wheeler wrote, it seems like a lot of people kind of have the, the tagline. Yeah, sure. He's a great hockey player, but he's even a better person off the ice. Seems like the, the motto for him. So I'm, I'm cheering for a guy like this. That's for sure. I'm cheering for him as well. And Michigan is a great spot for him to land, especially when guys like Matthew Beneers and Owen power are leaning towards going back and they'll already have Kent Johnson. Luke Hughes is going to be there too. Really, I believe that Matthew Samuskevich is one of five Michigan players that is going to go in the first round of this NHL draft. That is absolutely insane. So good on him for earning a spot on Mel Pearson's club. We're also playing under former Ottawa Senator Bill McCult, who's the associate coach at Michigan. And he's ranked as high as 19th on the elite prospects guide. So that jumps off the page as well. But most everywhere else has him as a late first early to mid second rounder with Craig button, having him at 47th, the lowest out of anybody, Bob McKenzie, the median at 31, but the average rank is 32.6 Pillsy. Will Samuskevich hear his name called the right shot center, who I think could play right wing at the NHL level. Will he hear his name called on night one of the draft? I, I think so. Ross, like this, this guy definitely has the talent to garner a first round pick and, I'm just looking now, like I'm trying to think, is there any teams that have early first round picks and late first round picks that could say, hey, let's get two guys who are teammates 
from Michigan or they played with the Chicago Steel together. I'm looking at maybe maybe a team like New Jersey. They've got some picks here. Uh, I'm trying to see well, Columbus. Like, Columbus. Columbus has Columbus has Toronto's and Tampa Bay. So Tampa would be 31st. Yeah. So th- there's, there's teams that maybe look that direction and say, Hey, we can get elite players that are going to be drafted and developing together. They're going to have insane chemistry and there's so much talent to be had there that maybe they pick him in the first round to combine him with a teammate of his they selected earlier. So Pilsy, wait a second. I said Tampa's drafting 31st. Are we going to officially go? I think we should just keep it at 32 because obviously it, it's such a strange year because Seattle's getting a team. So everyone's going to be like, no, 31 isn't the first round anymore, but Arizona forfeited their pick. So I guess we'll have the 11th pick is a forfeited pick by Arizona. So Tampa has 32nd in the overall in the draft. And that takes us up to our final profile of the day coming in at number 28 with an average rank of 28.9. Corson Kuhlman's a right shot defenseman out of the Brooks Bandits, a wagon junior organization in Alberta. And it's uh, somewhere the Sens have drafted out of before. Jacob Bernard Docker was taken out of Brooks and was going the college route. Well, guess what? Kuhlman's is on his way to Wisconsin, and he's a polarizing prospect. Some very much question his upside and ability to play in the NHL at all. Where do you stand on the six foot two, 200 pound defenseman? Well, first off, I'll say right off the bat, I think, and I've said this a lot of times, Corson Kuhlman's is one of those guys that unfortunately the COVID with the way the season worked in the AJHL really hurt his development. I mean, especially for a right shot defenseman in this draft, like if you got a whole season under your belt, like that could go a long way for scouts. And he was one of those guys that didn't get that opportunity, unfortunately, only eight games, but he did put up 11 points in those eight games. So, hey, If it's a small sample size, you might as well knock it out of the park, which he did. And also, speaking of that, he had a massive U18 tournament with eight points in six games. So clearly the talent is there, but those are small sample sizes. So it's tough for for scouts to really get a handle on him. So let's take it back. And this is what I like doing to 2019-2020, where they had 44 games in the AJHL and he had 35 points. So you can see he consistently puts up points. But the thing I'm worried about, Ross, and EP describes him as a guy who he has all these tools. He just hasn't put it together yet. Like they say that he has a good shot, but he's hitting shin pads. He's not finding open lanes. He's not faking anyone out. Like, it's just like, okay, I've got the puck at the blue line. Let's get my head down and get a shot and see where it goes. But that's not going to cut it. Teams are going to be able to read that real quick. But he does have a lot of skills. Like his stick handling's good. He can enter the zone with ease. All these kinds of things. Like he's got the tools and he's got the size. He's a right shot defenseman. But for me... I don't, I don't know where he's going to be drafted, but I really prefer guys like Scott Morrow or Brent Johnson over a guy like Corson Kuhlman's. Seems a little bit like he's a reputation defenseman. Like he gets by on having this knack as a big body, a right shot who can skate, but elite prospects, and mind you, they have him lowest, as low as anybody else. And they even recognize it's a given. Corson Kuhlman's will be drafted much higher than his position on the elite prospects final ranking. And then they go on to say that, unfortunately, they haven't seen enough from him to match his top draft billing. And that maybe it would show at the U18s that maybe he'd come in and raise the level of his game, but it didn't happen. He just had more and more questions. They say they see the skill in Kuhlman's games, but that his tools are imperfect, that his skating style is strange, he's hunked over, and his release 
And this isn't a good quality for defensemen at the offensive blue line. They say far, far, far too often that goes off and hits a shin pad. And then it's going the other way. And you're just creating offense against you when you're trying to create it yourself. So that's not anything great uh, when it comes to Coleman's. I think that he's a guy who fits the Senators' profile. And remember, they've taken right shot defensemen uh, in 2019 and 2018 with Lassie Thompson and Jacob Bernard Docker. So maybe they go back to the well on that one. But he comes in with an average of 28.9, but like even at 39, I, I don't know if he's a guy who I'd like the sense to take. I think that there's too many questions that go unanswered, and I believe that that'll hold him back. But there's other guys who like him, like uh, Bob McKenzie has him at 18, Button at 20, Wheeler at 22, and then, I mean, grain of salt. We're learning a lot about Promen as we go through these rankings, but he's got him at 13. <laughs> of course. I mean, I'm, I'm not shocked by that. But, yeah, I, I just – I don't think he's even going to be available at 39 Ross. I think teams will jump on a big right shot defenseman just, just to have one. And they believe in his development. And I do too. I think with time, he is going to turn into a decent NHL player, but like I said, I would rather take a guy like Scott Moore or Brent Johnson, where I'm more comfortable with their skills and think I can get them later on at picks and or 39 and, and 42. So uh, for me, it's a pass. I give him three out of five stars because I do believe in him as a prospect, but he, he's not the guy. He's not the guy they need. Yeah, I don't think that he should be, but I think he might be. And that's what worries me, Pilsy. I could even see a situation where they trade up to get this guy. I don't know. I just have this inkling in, in my stomach, but he is a two-star guy for me, Corson Coolman's, and I think that he will also go on the first night of the draft late in round one. How about yourself? Yeah, I think so too. For some reason, I'm, I'm looking at it now and just Montreal at uh, pick 31 just seems to make mm. a lot of sense because that's a team that has not had luck drafting defensemen. Well, uh, they did have Sergachev, but I don't know what happened there. What happened they, to him? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he won anything anytime soon? Yeah, I think he's actually pretty decent. So that was good drafting. But uh, they uh, they are going to need to bolster that blue line, I think, with uh, homegrown drafted and developed guys. So I could see him going to the Habs at 31. Yeah, well, time will tell. The draft is only 10 days away. Tomorrow, Pilsy, when we talk, we're going to be single digits. That's absolutely amazing. Cannot wait. Yeah, we're, we're getting there. And the draft is coming close. I know, like... Craig Button putting out his final rankings was kind of like a, a marker for us. Like, okay, now we're, we're almost here. Like, it's almost time. It's like when you start the advent calendar, and then when Bob McKenzie comes in, you're looking at, like, Christmas Eve, and, and you're going <laughs> to have uh, all the presents to open the, the next day at the draft, where we'll see all of them in their fancy hats as the draft will be virtual. But Dan Milstein tweeting out a photo. He's got some uh, – He's representing some people who are in the draft and he put out every one of the team hats on the bed. So uh, obviously a special day for these kids knowing where they're, they'll spend their NHL careers and a special day for us. We always have our immediate first round reaction. It was one of our most popular episodes in 2020. There will be no edits to it. We will record it. We will end it and we will post it. It's as simple as that. And what makes it even better Pilsy is for the first time in, I believe a year and a half, we will be doing an episode side by side. Yeah, that's been a long time. I do. Uh, I'll be honest. I miss the days at the TSN side studio. I feel like that was, it's just a different feel when you're in a professional studio and you're, you're looking across at each other and you got your mics and everything sounds so crisp and, and good. So it's going to be great to be, uh, be together for the draft. We're going to make a lot of good content. I expect some locked on now videos to be made uh, for immediate reaction and, Definitely follow along on Twitter at Send Central because it's going to be a hype day. It's going to be lit. 
Oh, and the Locked On Nows are great. And um, shout out to Locked On Podcast Network who turned it around with the graphics and everything. And on Instagram, looks great. So check it out there too. Locked On dot senators all right pilsy um i think that we've had our fair share of mcguire talk and it's good there's a lot to unpack it was a uh, kind of an out of left field type hiring and the more i've talked myself into it i think that it's just awesome that there's an extra voice now in the front office so um as we put that conversation to bed for now at least until the next time it arises whether it's with a mcguire media appearance or whatnot the focus is now solely on the draft, so go to Send Central and have your say. We're putting up a poll every day about which players we profiled would you most like to see on the Ottawa Senators. So have your say there. Pilsy, we'll talk again tomorrow. For Brandon Piller, I'm Ross Levitan. This has been the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day. <laughs>